How's everybody doing tonight? Good. It's good to see you all. My name is Chad, and uh, you guys are getting used to me now, and uh, I'm happy to be with you. Jason is out of town this week. He's uh, at a fifth grade retreat with his son, and uh, he'll be get back tomorrow evening, so I get to, to share the word with you guys this evening. Um, I'm going to be reading out of Je- uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. So if you have your Bibles, take a look. It's going to be a little bit of a one-off. We're not going to be looking at the, the topic that Jason's been studying, uh, walking through, through the focus on heaven. But tonight we're going to just take a little, a little detour from that. And uh, we're going to look at the 29 verse 4. If you've been around church very long, Jeremiah 29 might be a very familiar place. Some of you probably know Jeremiah 29, 11 by heart. Um, but we're going to talk a little bit about earlier in that letter uh, tonight. And so I want to just set the stage just for a moment. Um, when you get to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, what you find is, is actually a moment in Israelite history that's one of the darkest moments. Uh, if you know the story, the Israelites have been defeated by the Babylonians, and they destroyed, utterly destroyed the Israelite country. All of Israel, the temple included, lays in ruins. Tens of thousands, if not more, have been massacred, and over 20,000 were carried off into exile to live in the capital city of the enemy of the Israelites, Babylon. And all throughout Scripture, you probably hear this, there's this term, whenever you see Babylon mentioned, uh, it's not just talking about the modern-day city that is, uh, we call it Baghdad, <laughs> the modern-day city of Babylon, or at least close to it. <clears throat> what, what it's talking about is just the worst of the worst, So when you read the book of Revelation and you see the Babylon is in there, it's not necessarily talking about the location, the physical location of of what used to be Babylon. It's talking about the worst enemies of God ever because Babylon encapsulates the worst of the worst in Israelite history. Does that make sense? So even when they're talking about Rome in the first century, they often called Rome Babylon because it reminded them of the way the Babylonians had treated them. And so when we read this story, I want you to to realize just how much difficulty the people were dealing with. So Jeremiah writes this letter to the people living in exile. They're living in the city of Babylon. Their country lays in ruin. Probably all of them have seen family members massacred and killed. And then they've been carried themselves into a city that is not their own, into a place that speaks a totally different language, They're entirely and in every way outside of what they believed was God's place for them. You remember God's promise to take them into a land he would show them, a a land flowing with milk and honey. Remember all those promises? All of those have been removed in, in a powerful and visceral manner. And so they are lacking everything that they had put their hope in. So when this letter gets to them, they're in a pretty dark place. And if you read Jeremiah, you know that in chapter 28, there's another prophet that that speaks up. His name is Hananiah. And Hananiah speaks up and shares uh, this this prophecy that God was going to restore Israel within two years of their captivity. It says that the the prophecy said that that God was going to break the yoke of, of, um, of King Nebuchadnezzar and that the Israelites would be restored, even the king Joachim would be restored as the king of Israel, and that everything would be brought back to the temple, and the temple would be restored as well. And Jeremiah argues with Hananiah and says, that's not true. You're not even a prophet of the Lord, he says. You're you're teaching people false truths. And at the end, Jeremiah tells him that this year the Lord is going to take from you your life for your false prophecy. 
And then you get to 29. So what Hananiah had said in Israel got to the exiles who were living in Babylon. They thought maybe, just maybe, God is going to restore us really soon. And so Jeremiah writes this letter to correct that false teaching. So let me just, just sit with me for a moment. If you were in Babylon and you heard that Hananiah had prophesied that you would be restored within two years, how are you feeling? You feel like that's a pretty good thing, right? Now, given and granted that you're not feeling good generally, you've already lost everything, you're living in a foreign country, you feel like God has forsaken you in many ways, but maybe he's going to restore us quickly. And then you get to this letter. Let's look at it here. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to start here in verse 4. And it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Verse 5, look at this. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Now when you read those verses, do you think this is going to happen in a couple years? No. Jeremiah is giving them a very different picture of what God's doing. I, I want to draw your attention. I can't spend any time here, but I want you to notice when it starts in verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those, listen, look at the language, I carried into exile. Who takes responsibility for sending the Israelites into Babylon? God himself. God himself. So Jeremiah's letter <clears throat> probably is not welcomed very much. It doesn't give you the happy feelings that they wanted from Hananiah's prophecy. Look at this, keep going. Verse 7, it says, Also, this is, in, it finishes, increase in number, do not decrease. Verse 7 says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He goes on and encourages them not to listen to the prophets who are trying to deceive them. If you skip down with me to verse 10, it says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Somebody tell me, how long is 70 years? Okay, now if I, had, if I said, listen guys, it's going to be fine. 70, year from now, 70 years from now, everything is going to be good. How does that make you feel? How many of you think you're going to be here 70 years from now? There's some kids here. You guys will be here hopefully in 70 years. <clears throat> this promise that, that, that Jeremiah is giving to these people is for their children and their grandchildren. And so when you get to this famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He's speaking to future generations. I wanted to ask you something. Does it encourage you to know that God has a plan for your grandchildren, your children? Does it hurt you to think that he is skipping over you? He's not. He's not. 
But notice how those exiles might have felt that. They might have felt that this promise is not for me. Isn't it funny how our world today has adopted this verse that God's planning to take care of all of us right where we are right now. And it kind of takes out of context what the Lord is doing here. And I want to tell you this. This is how I want to finish. In our world today, we live in a, in a world of immediates, immediate gratification. It's right now, anything you want. You want to watch it, stream it. You want to eat it, go to fast food. You can have it in a few minutes, unless you're on I-10 today. But like, if you want it, you can get it. You want to order it, jump on Amazon. It'll be here tomorrow, right? We're in this world where instant gratification is pretty much the way the Western world acts. And it's almost like we think it's what we deserve or almost it's, it's so normal now that we think it's, it's the way the life has. If you have to wait for something, it's so difficult. Ask your teenagers how it feels when they have to wait for anything. It's such a difficult process. And yet the Lord thinks so much bigger and so much longer than we do. And so I want to encourage you today. God loves you right where you're at. He has a heart to see you succeed. He has a heart to see this city succeed. And we should be praying that God would open the hearts of the places where we live and that God would make these cities prosperous because as they prosper, we prosper. You know, one of the amazing things is that we're in the middle of an extremely uh, strong growth area. You know that? This is one of the fastest growing areas in the entire United States right now. And because of that, if we do things moderately well, our church is going to grow. If we do things really well, the church is going to grow really fast. There's a lot of great things that God has in store for us, but I want you to know it may not be tomorrow. It may be for future generations. And I'll stop with this. You probably have all seen this Asbury revival going on around the country. It's interesting to read about. It's so funny to look on Facebook because there's really two camps. There's camps that think it's evil and it's just a fake thing and it's not going to last. And then there's a camp that thinks this is the best thing that's ever happened. I don't know where you stand in the middle of it and I'm not going to take a position. But I do want to tell you this. Pray that God would break the hearts of your grandkids and your children and that generation. Pray that God would do something fresh among them because as of this moment, that generation is very far from God. And it's hard to know where our country is headed if we don't have believers in our, as in our children and grandchildren. Will you guys partner with me as we pray and ask God to move among us? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We ask God that we would know that you are here with us. Now, Father, we are not alone. Lord, you love Bernie. You love this county, the state. Father, you love people here. We pray, God, that we would be lights to this community. And Father, we pray that this gospel presence would remain here for many generations. That, Father, this light on a hill would speak to generations far beyond us. God, we love you and we praise you. Go with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful evening. Oh, sorry. There's a couple of things I need to tell you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the class tonight, the uh, Threads class, Jason and, and Daniel's class, is going to be meeting in the choir room. And so if you're part of that class, you can go out these doors and just go right around the corner and there's another entryway. But that one has steps. So if you can't take steps, then go out this way and go through the prayer garden to get there. That class will be starting in just a few minutes and, uh, and then choir practice will be in here at 6.30. You guys have a wonderful night. God bless.